Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm one of your hosts, Jordana Osband, here with my friend, Chabruta and Gordon. Our daf today, Masachat Rosh Hashanah, daf Yudbet, page 12. So our daf continues its discussion on how we count for a variety of items. And nestled in here, in the midst of its discussion about Yerakot, in other words, when do we start to take Maser for vegetables that Maser need to be taken from, is an interesting uh, little passage that I think explains us or we can use as a basis for understanding a lot about uh, Maser in general. And this is all the way in the bottom of Amud Bet. Uh, sorry, of Amud Aleph. Tanu Rabbanan, likat yarek erev Rosh Hashanah, ad shelo tavo ha-shemesh, v'chazar v'likait misha tavo ha-shemesh, so we have the following brace. Let's say you pick vegetables on Erev Rosh Hashanah. So let's say Rosh Hashanah starts on a Sunday night. So Sunday morning, you go outside and you pick a bunch of vegetables. It's before the sun is set. So those vegetables really belong to the old year. In other words, they need, Maser needs to be taken, right? Or true and Maser needs to be taken from the old year, right? But then he comes back and he picks vegetables Basically, after, uh, you know, uh, he picks more vegetables after sunset. So those are going to belong to the new year, right? So he comes Sunday night and he picks some vegetables. So it says here, one cannot set aside truma and one can't and maser one from the other, right? Um, so in other words, that you can't combine those two groups of vegetables, the one that would does, the one that was before sunset and the one after sunset, and take truma and maser collectively from that pile. Because we can't take truma and maser from the new on the old and the old on the new. In other words, because you have the sunset of Rosh Hashanah in between those two pickings, they basically belong to two totally separate years. So now here's the piece that's really interesting. Let's say you picked the first group of vegetables. It's the end of year two of a Shemitah cycle. Okay. So then those vegetables, what are you going to have to take? Maser Rishon and Maser Shani. Okay, but then let's say that second group of vegetables was picked after sunset, and now that's year three of a Shemitah cycle, you're going to take Maser Rishon, and you're going to take Maser Ani from it. So I want to use this price as an opportunity to go through exactly what Truma, Maser Rishon, Maser Shani, and Maser Ani are, and how they were given over uh, the course of a Shemitah cycle. So during a Shemitah cycle, which is basically seven years, uh, on year one through six, we're talking about the gifts. On year seven, which is a Shemitah year, which we have this year, you actually didn't have to give any of this. Um, but when you harvested your vegetables, your fruit, your grain, your wine even, you had to give a series of gifts to the Kohanim, to the Livium, and then we'll get into a second set of gifts as well. So the first set of gifts you had to give with Truma, that was something that was designated for the Kohanim. Um, what's interesting about Truma is its amount is not explicitly stated in the Torah itself. Chazal discussed that uh, either you would give a, a, a 60th of the of the produce, that was sort of what a poor person or a stingy person would do, a 50th is an average person, and a 40th uh, was for a, a generous person is what they would give. Um, but Minha Torah, if you read the Pesukim itself, it does, actually doesn't give a 
measurement. So that was the first set of gifts that you had to give uh, was the truma. Then you got to Master Rishon. So Master Rishon, and I'm sort of highlighting this by nature, the name itself is, it's a tenth, right? That's tithing. Um, so that was what you gave to the Levine. That was your Master Rishon. So first you gave your truma, then you gave your Master Rishon. And this is done every year on years one through six. Then this is where it starts to get a little bit tricky. On years one and two of a Shemitah cycle, and four and five, you gave something called Maser Shani. So Maser Shani was you took another tenth of the crop and you basically had to eat that in Yerushalayim. Now, very often your crop, right? If you picked cucumbers and it, you know, it wasn't, you picked some cucumbers, let's say in July, and the next time you were going to be up in Yerushalayim was not going to be until September for Sukkot, your cucumbers weren't necessarily going to last. So for Maser Shani, what people would often do is, is you would sort of sell it or exchange it for money. And then you would take that money you got, take that up to Yerushalayim, and then you would use that money to purchase something to eat when you were in Yerushalayim. So that's Master Shani. And again, that is year one, two, four, and five during the Shemitah cycle. Then we have Master Ani. So Master Ani is on year three and six. And instead, and instead of, of use, uh, you know, you, using that to eat in Yerushalayim, right, as Master Shani. Instead of Master Shani, you did it as Master Ani. So you took that same amount and you gave it to poor people. Now we know there's a variety of different gifts every year that would be given to poor people, right? That's Leket, Shechachan, Peya, right? Those things of either, uh, you know, what you forgot to pick or what fell while you were picking, you couldn't go back and get it or your corners of your field. But on year three and six, there was an additional gift that was given to poor people, which was called Maser, uh, Maser Ani. So here what this price is discussing is, is that let's say you decide to pick some vegetables on Air Rosh Hashanah before sundown, okay? And that is now technically year two of a Shemitah cycle. And then you pick, your sunset happens, and then you go and pick more vegetables, and that's after sundown. So now it's year three of a Shemitah cycle because the Yerakot are dependent on Rosh Hashanah, okay? So we have these vegetables. The crop that you picked in the morning before sunset, you're going to take Master Rishon and Master Shaniyan because that's still part of year two of your Shemitah cycle. The vegetable that you picked after sunset, you're going to take Master Rishon and Master Anion because it's year three. And then the Gemara basically spends some time trying to figure out in a way that sort of makes sense. How do you know that on a year that you st- that you take Master Ani? that you still have to do Maser Rishon. And so they use it by doing this psukim, by using the word Nachala with Levium and showing that inheritance is something that's sort of never interrupted year to year. So that's the Nachala, the Maser Rishon is the Nachala of Levium. So that doesn't get interrupted year to year. So it's sort of that Maser Shani, Maser Ani is a very independent category from the Maser Rishon itself. So I just wanted to spend a little bit of time going through this. Because um, again, and as you keep mentioning, we don't really have uh, the, all of these laws are really discussed in the Mishnah of Zraim um, and in the Seder of Zraim. And we don't have, Bubbly has no Gemara on this. So this is again one of those pockets where we get the agricultural law snuck in here. And here we have sort of, yes, it's a Brisa that's teaching us about Maser for uh, Yerakot, but it's really explaining to us more the whole cycle. Of, 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 of mass road, uh, uh, you know, that took place over a six year cycle. And then again, just to emphasize on year seven, you didn't have any true mass road that you took because you don't really own the crops themselves 
we'll get into that more when we talk about Shemitah more at another time. So I'm struck by, and this is a little bit off the daf, so to speak, but I'm struck by the human um, involvement here, right? This count or the way the way that the tithing is determined, right? Throughout here, it's really it's not so simple as to say human intention, but it is based on you know human count of the shemitah cycle um, and and determining like this is going to be master shani this is going to be master ani now it's a shemitah year we're not giving at all right all of this is based on the calendar which is kind of outside of the human domain except for we're the people who keep track of the calendar so then then it come then it is on us right and likewise what you were talking about at the beginning with the vegetables right like which when you say you know you have your vegetables you have your i don't know truckload of cucumbers and then you say like this portion is going to be truma and now all the rest of it doesn't need to be truma, and in fact can't be truma because truma's over there, right? Like it's it's a very, on the one hand, it's purely about the agriculture, and on the other hand, it's I, I don't know somehow something struck me today that it's very that it's got a strong measure of human involvement. Yeah, I I, I hear what you're saying. Like on the one hand, it's you know these are all laws that come from the Torah, but there's a human piece to how this is given as well. So I I think that's an interesting point there. Thank you. Okay, now I want to talk about towards the end of Ahmed Bet. We've got a new section which is talking about Nidaram, which is oaths or swearing, right? Taking vows. Um, and the commentaries note here that the Nidaram here, are, they're, in, they're mentioned in the Brita, but they're not mentioned in the mission at the beginning of the Masachet, right? They're not really under discussion up until this point. And the, they want to know why, right? The Rishonim want to, they ask why. And so one suggestion is that when you're going to talk about vows, taking a vow, then usually it's not going to be that the first of the first of Tishrei, meaning the beginning of the new year, ends up being the end of the vow from the previous year. So that's one opinion. And another opinion, which I happen to like a lot, is that there's a principle when it comes to Nadam that vows function based on how people understand the language. Meaning, I don't know, if we wanted to try to take oaths in the language of Chaucer, and you aren't a Chaucer scholar, then it might not even take hold. I mean, depending, right? Because the idea is that the common use of the language, common parlance is what matters here then in terms of how we talk about the vows. And then, you know, so then on the one hand, we'd have, well, of course, that's going to be the new year. And anytime you talk about the new year, everybody means the first of Tishrei, meaning unless you're specifically talking about trees or your your flocks or your, right? Otherwise, just the the default of the words new year in a Jewish calendar automatically means the first of Tishrei. In a secular calendar, everybody means January 1st. Nobody's talking about the first day of school as being the new year unless they're specific, specifically talking about school. So that kind of the default of the common parlance gets us to say, well, of course, it's the first of Tishrei. So now let's read some Gemara here. It's very brief on this, in fact. Lindarim v'chulei. Right, this is a citation from the Mishnah, from the Brita, rather. Tanu Rabbanan, Hamoder Somebody says, and I'm not saying this. Somebody says that they have, they are um, swearing off. Really, that's the same language here, right? They're swearing off of whatever it is, deriving benefit from another person for a year. And you say for a year, and that's the language of the oath. 
So then you count 12 months from the day, you know, literally to the to the anniversary of that oath. But what happens if somebody says for the next year or for this year, right? Uh, some of these that they're going to swear off of whatever they're swearing off of. Now that time frame again, it's oh, this has come up before. It's less um, specific and less in, or yeah, because it's less specific, the language itself has to be the way you understand what it means. So you say this year doesn't this year mean until the end of this year, not for the absolute coming year of a year. So the, the Gemara here says, well, what happens if you took that vow on the 29th of Elul, right? And now you're going to come to the first of Tishrei, haven't you fulfilled that vow? Because you said, you know, for this year, and this year is very short, what's left of it, but then you'll, but then you have fulfilled your vow because that language gets you to the new year. It doesn't mean for a year. Even according to the opinion that said, who said, I think this was a realizer, that um, one day of a year does not count as a year. You can't count it as a year, right? Because there was that opinion, right? One day counts as a year. One day can only count as much as can only be understood to be colloquially a, a month. So when somebody has taken on a vow to, and that's what we're talking about, somebody who's taking on a vow to afflict oneself, right? There's going to be suffering here to swear off of whatever it is they're swearing off of. Well, then you once you say, um, even though you would say one day is not a year, in this case, because of that suffering, right? Then you could say that count that one day counts as a year because the suffering kind of, I guess, you know, I, I keep wanting to say, it feels like a year, you know. I don't think that they mean it exactly that tongue in cheek, but the idea is that as the as soon as he's experienced that affliction that he's taking on himself, that he's fulfilled his oath to say that he's going to keep it for a year, even though it's not exactly specifically the length of the year. The Amani son. So the Gemara says, well, what about why Tishrei? Let's say that the vow is going to end in Nisan, that the colloquial language will get us to Nisan. And here the Gemara says it specifically, it's not going to be Nisan because Allah is very specifically, as with vows in general, that you follow the ordinary language. And the ordinary language is going to get you to the beginning of Tishrei because that's when everybody thinks the new year is, which I kind of preambled, but there it is, you know, in black and white on the daf. This idea that we're always questioning when we're counting a new year, do we mean the first of Nisan? in terms of creation, in terms of all of these, all of this machloket that we've seen, or do we mean Tishrei, for Nidaram, at the end of the day, at least thus far in the daf, um, there is no dispute that Nidaram follow Tishrei. So this whole idea that sort of the essence of the Nedar is sort of the suffering that you get from the Nedar, I thought was really interesting because we do use this language of that is for not getting hana from whatever it is that you take a nether about. And so I, I never thought of it that way. So then the then what you should be experiencing is suffering. So this passage really articulated sort of a gap for me in how I think about um, nadarim. Like I always thought of it more as the withholding of hana. But this is talking about, you know, it's not just what you're not going to experience, what it is, you're, what you do need to experience from a neder. And so 
I guess my existential question on this is, let's say you take a nether, you know, you're not going to enjoy your neighbor's food. You won't eat from your neighbor. What if it doesn't bother you? What if that doesn't make you suffer in a way? Then what did you get out of the nether? Like, I don't, there's an emotional piece to Nadarim here. Maybe I'm overreading it that gets brought into this section so that, I, 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 that I haven't really seen before. Like, I don't think you're overreading it because I think it's the obvious question on this passage, which I suppose we'll delve into much further when we get the Masakat Nadarim in several years, whatever. But um, I, I felt like plenty of Nadarim might not be about suffering, right? Nadarim right. could be about. I don't know, you know, it could be about character refinement, but that doesn't mean you automatically go through suffering. I know that suffering may get you to character refinement, but there are other ways to do it, including, you know, swearing off something for a certain period of time um, on the assumption that it's going to be better for you in the long run. How many people, I mean, I don't really mean this literally in terms of taking an ender, but how many people do I know who have decided that they're going to be vegan for a while? They're going to try it. And veganism wasn't really the right thing for them, but they did well with it for a short time. It wasn't suffering. It was a means to figure out what was going to be their best eating pattern. And maybe they ended up vegetarian or pescatarian or whatever, whatever, right? I just mean like, I don't know, the idea that a neder is automatically um, an affliction, I found to be on the one hand, very interesting. On the other hand, a little difficult. Yeah, and, and that language is very explicit here. So a question for us to keep in mind when we get to Masakha Nadarm, as you said, in many years, uh, God willing, from now. Well, that's our DAP discussion for the day. Rake us, review us on all major podcasts. Thank you to Reverend Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadram website. Let us know what you thought about the step on our Talking Talmud Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn.